Hey everybody, uh, just a quick apology on the front end. The audio on this interview is a little bit wonky. Uh, there's some audio artifacts that I wasn't able to pull out. The levels are a little bit off, and I wasn't able to fix that quite appropriately. Uh, best off probably listening to this one in a quiet room. Sorry about that, folks. Hello, I'm Joshua Chaplinski, managing editor of LitReactor.com and author of Kanye West Reanimator. You're listening and watching... Legends of Tabletop. Thank you very much for joining us today, Josh. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us here at Legends of Tabletop. Um, now, with your impressive background as managing editor of Lit Reactor, I'm sure you get thrown, thrown and also throw some very interesting pitches. What's the strangest class that you've offered so far over at Lit Reactor? Hmm, as far as classes? Yeah. We haven't really seen anything too strange because it it's such a big endeavor and involves um, a lot of time on the instructor's part and also, you know, they cost money. So we, we never want to put anything too crazy out there. Though we did do uh, with Chuck Polinick, he did kind of a scavenger hunt where, where his, his class involved and, you know, some sort of scavenger hunt with people going around looking for things and stuff. So that was fun and different. And because it was, it was Chuck, you know, we would do something like that. But we haven't really gotten pitched anything crazy from, you know, someone we don't know as well. Okay. Um, let's see. Now... With this wonderful resource at your disposal, do you find yourself reviewing any of the materials that have been offered in the classes there? I do. Well, especially with the classes I personally develop, I, you know, I develop them with uh, the instructor and, and then I set up the class page. So I've read through it numerous times and I, I do feel, I feel like I'm getting, I'm getting an education for free. And then I, there are other classes where I've gone back and I've looked in at, at the, uh, you know, the information provided. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a sweet perk of the job because it, you know, it, it definitely helped. I mean, I'm always looking for, you know, ways to improve and, and you know, and it's just, it's a good perk of the job. Okay. Well, I, as a past student, I can't thank Lit Reactor enough for the fun that I've had. And I wish your site had an annual membership tier. And on second thought, probably not, because I have neither the time nor the resources to devote to a full-time, um, year-long subscription to Lit Reactor. Um, but, yeah, tell me more about your multi multimedia pursuits. Because I remember you saying something about film. Oh, well, that's uh, film is my day job. Uh, I live in New York and I work in film production. 
nothing nothing too glamorous. Um, I work in the production office. I'm an assistant coordinator, uh, which is basically kind of like an office managerial job. So that that's what I do for the day job, and uh, I've kind of put aside any uh, dreams of writing for film or directing for film for now. Cause I feel like, uh, is writing short stories and stuff like that has been a more fulfilling outlet where you could write something and actually make a little money on it and have people actually read it where with screenwriting after time, you just thrown it in the drawer and no one gets any enjoyment out of it. Now, uh, speaking of writing pursuits, how has Kanye West Reanimator played out for you as both an experience and as being able to tout something that you've had a hand in creating? Uh, it's been great. The, the whole idea with it was I felt it was a very made-for-the-internet idea. And, you know, I have to admit a part of me was hoping, you know, it, it would catch on and go viral and and then people would take note of me and then I would write something more serious and then kind of having like, you know, a little foot in the door or a built-in fan base. And I mean, it's worked pretty well. It's, uh, and it's gotten attention from a, a lot of mainstream outlets and a lot of places. I don't think a normal novel, literary novel would have gotten you know, there's the Lovecraft fans, the hip hop fans, movie fans, and you know, it just kind of. I was able to cross promote it on all these different platforms more so than I would have, a, you know, a regular book. So it's been great. It's been a lot of fun. I even showed up a year or two ago when Kanye West had a pop up for his clothing uh, in New York City. I showed up there, and there was these lines of people waiting to get in, and I was just giving out books and T-shirts and stuff. So. A lot of opportunities to promote in, in new and in different ways. Excellent. Now, I've wondered, when using still living celebrities as subject matter in your creation, has there been any legal hassle with that at all? There hasn't. And initially, right before the book came out, I was really afraid that somehow he would get wind and we would get shut down before we were even out of the gate. And then about a year down the line, I was kind of wishing he would discover it and make a fuss because, you know, there's no such thing as, as bad press. But uh, I'm pretty sure, you know, it falls under the umbrella of parody and, you know, we're safe there legally. And again, it was it's on I guess it's not on quite the level where it's come to his attention and so it's not really uh, worth his time to to complain about it, I guess, or even even if he knows. Now, uh, falling under the falling under the category of parody, that does answer the next one that I was going to ask. But uh, the best review I've seen on Amazon for this is this book is the Kanye best. <laughs> That's a wonderful little review there. Yeah, I'm sure that was a family member. Yeah. But as any uh, any interviewer will often do, I scuttled over to Amazon and searched the items listed under your name. 
Along with the impressive list of literary magazine entries, I see that there is also an opera song track with your name on it. What? Yeah. I was wondering what you were talking about when you mentioned opera. Oh, we're going to go into that right now. Pan Boyevoda 5, Act 1. Scene and duet of Chaplinsky and Maria. Now, I don't think that you wrote this opera, but if you did... and I don't think I did. No, I don't think you did either. But if you did, what would it be about? Oh, geez. Uh, first of all, I'm going to have to go look this up. I, I mean, Chaplinsky is not really a common name as far as I know. And in all my, you know, self-indulgent Google searching, I've never come across this, but I don't, I don't really have much knowledge of opera, although I will be going to my first opera this month, actually, because I bought my wife opera tickets for her birthday. So I will be going to the opera. But, I mean... I mean, Kanye West Reanimator could possibly make an interesting opera. I, I saw in New York there was uh, Kanye, not Kanye West. There was Reanimator the musical. It's kind of like an off, off, off Broadway thing, and I went and saw that, uh, starring Cheers's George Went. He was the star. He was the name, the big name, and it was really good. It was a lot of fun. It was really good, and I think I do know that there have been some big mainstream op operas outside of the typical kind of, you know, Barbara of Seville type thing. And so I, I would definitely like be interested in something like that. Cause I know uh, the director, David Cronenberg did an opera version of the fly in the UK at one point. I think something like that would be really amazing to see. And I also, when I was picking out what to get, what show to go to with my wife, I ultimately chose something very um, traditional, but uh, I did see that there's a new opera based on uh, the Luis Buñuel movie, uh, The Exterminators, The Exterminating Angel, which I found really fascinating because it's a very weird, surreal movie, and I think it'd be cool to see as an opera because it's a more modern, it's in a more modern setting. So, yeah. Now, in your dreams of the warehouse, I appreciated throwback to dreams in the witch house with the naming of Gilman. I would have expected Larry Gilman or Walter Talbot, but I myself am a rather grown-worthy and tired individual. Now, if, if what can you tell us about dreams in the warehouse? How did that genesis, how did that appear to you as an idea? That uh, came to me and much in the same way a few of my ideas have come to me, whereas it started kind of as a joke or a play on words. I mean, that's how Kanye West Reanimator came to me, because I was like, Herbert West, Kanye West. Oh, that's a funny joke. And then I kept thinking about it, and I was like, well, maybe it's more than a joke. So it Dreams of the Warehouse, I just kept thinking of the word warehouse. And like I'd seen other stories and books of people writing like, you know, not werewolf stories. Like, I think I saw one something to do with a were shark or, you know, <laughs> were sloth or were wombat. And so just the word warehouse was stuck in my mind. And I was like, I wonder if anyone's written this type of story where, like, a, a guy transforms into a house. And then 
I was like, well, how do I write that and make it not a joke? And so that's kind of, that was a challenge with that story. And that's where that came from. And then when it came time to title it, I had, I was like, oh man, dreams of the warehouse, but that's too close to Lovecraft's dreams in the witch house. And then I was like, well, let me go reread dreams in the witch house. And I saw a couple parallels there. So then I went in and kind of did some tweaking of the names of the characters and stuff and put in kind of little Easter egg things to kind of link the two together a bit more. But it didn't really start. That one didn't start as like an homage to Lovecraft or to have anything to do with Lovecraft really. So I would, it was interesting that they thematically, they had some similar elements in the end. Okay. Now tell me more about uh, Chuck. I'm, I'm saying his last name wrong. Chuck Flanian. Polinick. Polinick. Okay. Great. Could you tell me more about ChuckPolinick.com? How did you get started with that? Oh man. Well, uh, a friend of mine, good friend of mine, Dennis Widmeyer, who who runs Liquid Reactor and runs ChuckPolinick.net or .com or both. Well, I think it, it it it's both. But anyway. Uh, we, how we met is we worked together at a bookstore when I was in college and when fight club came out in paperback, you know, I forget who discovered it or what, but there was a bunch of us were like, this is the greatest thing we've ever read. And then survivor came out not too long after that. And then we saw Chuck was doing reading it in the New York and we were like, Oh my God, we got to see it. This guy's awesome. And this is at like, the beginning of the internet craze when people were first starting to get home computers and stuff. And I I didn't have one. And Dennis was one of the first person people I knew who had a computer. So he was like, we went to see Chuck and after the reading, we went up and we were talking to him and and Dennis was just like, you know what? I'm going to do a website for you. I'm going to do a website about you and your work and stuff. And he was just like, uh, all right, kid, whatever. Sure. And then it just kind of, he started it and it kept going and evolving. And eventually it was a big enough thing to where Chuck's publisher was like, you know what, this is better than any website we're going to do. So we're going to make this the official website. And then they started, you know, branching out and doing all sorts of stuff. And then that eventually led to Lit Reactor being, uh, you know, kind of an offshoot of the Chuck Polinick website. So now, now his website can focus more on him, and we kind of took the other elements and went and made Lit Reactor with it. So that's that story. So he's kind of like the patron saint of Lit Reactor, and he's taught for us a couple times, and he's been very generous with his his time and name. So yeah, I've seen I've seen that he is a rather uh, common element on that site. Yeah, definitely. Um. I, I must admit uh, that your evolution of appreciation for Chuck Blahnik, I, I, I've not said it that often, and I apologize if I keep messing that word up, Chuck Blahnik. Um I was introduced to him at a layover on a flight to meet my adopted sister for the first time. She had been adopted out at birth, and I finally got to meet her. And so I was held over at the uh, at this airport, and so I ended up getting a copy of that paperback, reading it, finishing it, and then immediately going back to read it again. <laughs> so it, it definitely had a, uh, a 
its effect on me. Yeah. But yes, uh, speaking about reading items that have an effect on people, what woman can possibly ignore the familiarity of Red Menace on Side? Tell me how the genesis of that one came about in your little brain. Oh, this is funny. And my wife is actually in the room, so she's going to hear this because I basically, I, I, you know, she's the first person to read anything I write. Mm-hmm. And Red, Red Menace was something I'd actually written like 10 years ago as a, sh- a short film, a short script. And, uh, and I always liked it. And then, you know, when I started writing a fiction, I was like, well, I'm going to just turn this into a short story kind of a way of like, I've already done half the work. I might as well recycle this and, you know, and, and make something out of it. And so I basically just ported it to kind of short story form and, and then let my wife read it. And she was, she read it and she was like, she was like, eh. And I, and I was like, well, you know, what is it? Because I'm a man and I'm writing about this subject matter. And she was like, she's like, no, it's just kind of a surface level, you know, satire of 50 sexuality and whatnot. And just doesn't do anything for me. So I was like, oh, you know, I was like, oh man, you know, this, this is a dud. Or, you know, I got to do something with it. <laughs> she says I didn't care. <laughs> But it was a legitimate criticism. Um, I mean, so I kind of, then that kind of just gave it a little of that, I guess, kind of political spin with the communism and the modern day thing or whatnot. And then I let her read it again. She still didn't really like it. And I was like, all right, you know what? Screw you. And <laughs> and then, uh, you know, it it got a handful of rejections. I mean, maybe like a dozen or so before Solicide picked it up. So I was happy about that. But there was a, 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 a time where I, w- I was worried that because, you know, the climate of everything now and, and, you know, people would see that and be like, oh, well, what do you know about, you know, being a girl and having your first period? And, and my answer is absolutely nothing, you know? So feel free to take me to task for it because, you know, there's always that hope that you know, few people get angry, and then a few more people read it, and then it blows over, and that's it. So, but no one's really gotten angry, probably because not that many people have read it. But yeah, that's that. I still like the story. My wife still doesn't. Oh, well, red menace, red tides. Speaking of tides of liquid that wash over us all, I would like to take a brief moment. To bring word from our sponsors. Birds of a Feather Coffee Company. Do you enjoy coffee? I do. Are you asking me? Yes. <laughs> so maybe it was rhetorical. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Birds of a Feather Coffee Company, they roast their unique craft batches in small bat in small batches, so it's always fresh. Their signature blend showcases the amazing breadth and depth of flavors that coffee has to offer. The Night Owl blend, for instance, my personal favorite, is a rich, deep cup of coffee with notes of smooth caramel, decadent cocoa, and bittersweet molasses with just a touch of acidity to cleanse the palate so you're ready for the next sip. 
Check out all of Bird's Coffees and order now at www.birdscoffeecompany.com. And don't forget, use the promotional code LEGENDS10 at checkout to receive a 10% discount. Birdscoffeecompany.com. We've got a brew for everybody. Um, Yes. And also, don't forget, we have the Legends of Tabletop Legends Brew at legendsoftabletop.com. Just click on the button along the top banner that says Legends Coffee. Click on it, and then you will have a chance to taste your very own legendary brew. Thank you very much. All right. I thought for a second there you were gonna say with subtle hints of ground up bird beak and <laughs> well uh they they haven't that that flock has not migrated to the <laughs> to the birds brewing site. I'm sure as soon as they do they can lend their flavor. That's a free idea, they can have that. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, the heart is a monster now. How, how does that speak to the average listener? Mm. Let us know. How does it speak to the average listener? Well, I mean, I guess it's ultimately about something a lot of people, you know, understand, which is a, a bad breakup and, and the, the, the feeling of, like, actually separating yourself and, and keeping separated when it's so easy. Sometimes it's a lot easier to go back or stay. And it's just kind of, I mean, that's the basic premise of it told through the veil of a weird kind of psychological horror story. But, uh, I mean, it is, it is something that, you know, I mean, the thing, the thing with horror is that I always like to have something, uh, very, uh, relatable in there to kind of ground it and then you build up all this craziness on top of it so yeah i mean that's that's how it spoke to me so excellent now uh please remind us again where we can find your wares um you could find kanye west reanimator and all the other anthology printed anthologies and magazines i've been in on amazon and then I have links to all um, all the things I've ri- written that you could read online for free at my website, which is joshuachaplinsky.com. Now that's a tough one to spell. It's basically Chaplin Sky. And, uh, yeah, and then, you know, come to Lit Reactor, hang out, uh, interact. And if you're into books and literature and all things writing. And, yeah, that's uh, pretty much it. That's plenty, as far as I'm concerned. Awesome. Now, uh, ooh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it again. Back to Lit Reactor. It is a very strong resource that I thoroughly recommend to all of the viewers and listeners that have an interest in learning more about writing and its development as a skill. I strongly recommend it. Uh, many of the relationships that I've developed. In Lit Reactor, the community is excellent. I still have ties with the communities 
that have been formed around the classes that I've taken from Lit Reactor, which I've taken. I still uh, touch. That's but, awesome. Yeah, I, I still remain in touch with the, many of the people that I took that class with, and it's it's just a wonderful experience to uh, share your successes uh, with fellow classmates that you shared that experience with a year ago, two years ago. I mean, and, and it just stays with you. So I, I strongly recommend litreactor.com as, as a writing resource. But uh, before this interview, I wore off some of the adrenaline buzz by listening to a steady playlist of desperates and running around like I was being chased or something just to wear off the excess steam. Now, what do you do to try and shake off any nervous buildup before a public event? <laughs> public event? <laughs> I don't know if I've done too many of those. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I spend a lot of my time behind a computer, whether it's for Lit Reactor or my own writing or the day job. So, uh, I mean, when, when we can, you try to get out there and even just once a day, take a walk around the neighborhood to clear the head and get some air. And me and my wife like to travel. So whenever I have time away from the day job to do that, that's probably the most I mean, that's definitely the most uh, kind of rewarding thing, getaway type thing that, you know, we do. And uh, this year we were lucky to do a bit of traveling. And uh, we both really enjoy that. <laughs> My wife says, I recently discovered I really like bubble tea. So that's her I, I like bubble tea. Okay. I love bubble tea. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, oh, let's see. No Love Deep Web helped me finish paying off my loan in that Reseteer video game. Speaking of video games, have you ever played the RPG Kanye Quest 3030? No. Is, is that something he did himself, or is this a fan-made thing? It's a fan-made thing. I can send you a copy of it if you want. I feel like I heard something about there being like this weird Kanye West RPG or something like that. I don't know if it's the same thing or not, but... It's very strange. That's for certain. Huh. Yeah, I've never heard of that. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's quite odd. Um, if Another odd question for you. If you could have one superpower, what would it be in one? Superpower? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, of course, everyone would like to fly. That would be awesome. Flying around is great. It's kind of a, a boring answer. Uh, more creepy answer would be invisibility because that, you know, brings up all sorts of, well, what are you going to do with invisibility? Oh, I'm going to go spy on people while they take a shower and stuff, you know, so... What else can you really do with invisibility but hide and be a creep? But still, there's something about it that's, you know, the sneakiness of it. No. My, my, wife would, my wife would definitely choose invisibility. Yes. She likes whenever walking around the neighborhood, she sees a neighbor with their window open. She's like, oh. all those people got their blinds open. Let's see what, what they got on their walls, what their house looks like, what they're doing in there. So 
I did for a while when I was younger. I was really into it. And back then, I would say it was more Marvel versus DC. But I also kind of uh, branched out into a few of the weirder independent things that were going on then. Um, you know, the Dark Horse was doing stuff like Alien versus Predator and stuff like that. Even stuff like Concrete, which were, I don't know if you would call that literary, but just more thoughtful and less killing and uh, valiant at the time. But uh, that's funny because my, my wife is a comic book artist, so, uh, but I left my interest in comics back long ago. <laughs> that's fair. Sci-fi or fantasy moving away from comic books? Hmm... I mean, I loved both, especially as a kid. I was a big genre reader, and I kind of only recently kind of been getting back into more of what people would call literary sci-fi or fantasy. So I, I don't, I don't really know if I could pick one. I mean, I kind of like the anything goes melding of the two, kind of like you know, Gene Wolfe, uh, Book of the New Sun, and stuff like that. Like that stuff is really does it for me. You, of course, the, the questions are veering more into that vein because, again, I'm with the site called Legends of Tabletop. And we, focus, mm. we focus quite a bit on uh, tabletop games and video games, um, but you have the power to create one perfect movie or TV adaptation of the video game storyline. And which video game? Video game, huh? That's a... That's a good question. I mean, so most modern video games are so much like movies and so cinematic. So I feel like saying something like that's almost a cop-out. Like, I really... I really like the stuff like Fallout and... Red Dead Redemption, and then more recently, I've been playing Skyrim forever. I just never get sick of wandering around yeah. in that world. And I feel like those games are already so cinematic. They're like, you know, they're practically movies that you participate in. But uh, maybe I would, I would say, oh, I mean, this would be, I don't know how it would be done, but one of my favorite video games of all time from when I was a kid on the original Nintendo was this boating game called Cobra Triangle where you were basically at a boat and you drove around doing, they had all sorts of different things like slalom racing and jumping and, and speed trials and then fighting sea monsters and I always loved that game and so if they would let me make a movie version that's centered around the boat as a sentient being without a driver and the boat was the main character, maybe that, that would be something I'd be interested in Okay. Now, uh, what's the most gracious response to rejections and setbacks that you've faced? Like the response that I give or from like the most gracious rejection? The most gracious, the most gracious rejection that you have gotten. And I've got to rewrite that question. 
I don't remember specifically where it came from, but I've gotten one or two where the, I mean, the person has been really nice. And basically what, I mean, the nicest thing to hear is they're like, we really like this story and we want you to submit again. It just wasn't the perfect fit, you know, thematically. So that's kind of like, you know, you're not being rejected because you suck being rejected because you didn't quite, you know, fit exactly what they were looking for. That's a, I mean, that's always nice to hear. Uh, especially too from like a, a a bigger outlet or like one of your white whales, you know, where you're trying to get published by this place and they're like, Oh, we really like this. So, you know, maybe next time try again. That always feels good. Yes. Yes, it does. Uh, what's the most agonizing career decision you've ever had? Made? Career decision. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I try not to agonize too much. <laughs> I, I, you know, I generally take a more lackadaisical attitude to things, especially as I get older. And maybe it's more of a hide your head in the sand kind of response. But as far as, I mean, I mean, there's, you know, like there's my work career and my writing career. And I've been treating my writing career as more of a hobby, even though I, I pursue it seriously, I don't want it to kind of lose that, that fun factor. And that, you know, the reason I do it is because I enjoy it. Cause I think I see a lot of people who quit their jobs and try to be full-time writers and make their living off of that. And to me, that seems like a nightmare. So I, I don't want writing to become that if, if, you know, a million dollars fell in my lap or something like that. And they're like, you know, if you write this and then I'd be like, fine, but you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin it for myself. And as far as like, you know, real life career or whatever, I don't take that too seriously either. <laughs> I guess I've been doing, well, I've been doing the same thing for so long now. I kind of, I haven't had to make any sort of major, like, Oh my God, what am I going to do type of decisions? You know? which I guess I've, I've been lucky that way, so. Now, how did you make your first dollar? Ever? Ever, ever, ever. I probably stole it. <laughs> <laughs> My very, um, I mean, I used to, did I get an allowance? I must've got an allowance at some point. I know I used to, I would wash my grandparents' car every once in a while, and they would give me 10 bucks, stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. What song would you like played at your funeral? Oh, man, I would put me on the spot. Yep. Uh, oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I, I mean, I think she hit it on the head. I might like Rough Boys by Pete Townsend. Okay. <laughs> What's one thing that you are exceptionally good at? Oh, that's a terrible question. Uh, honestly, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I promise the next one's going to be so much easier. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Um, uh, what are you really bad at? Really bad. You know, I'm always I'm a terrible type of person to ask these kind of absolute questions because 
I don't really deal in absolutes a lot. My life is very gray. And, uh, like, I'm, yeah, I'm like, maybe that's a, people could translate that as being non-committal or wishy-washy, but I can never be like, this one movie is my favorite movie. You know, this one book is my favorite book, you know, because your, your, your tastes and feelings always change. And even like, you know, political views and, and opinions and stuff like, I mean, half the time, I, I don't know what I'm talking about. So I, I, I don't want to be that guy like, yes, this definitively, you know, this, because I when I hear that from other people, that annoys me. So I guess I try not to do it. Even it, you know, even if it's something like this is the best movie ever made, or it's like you know you're gonna change your mind eventually, yeah. or you know, uh, I I don't know, like no, murdering don't. school children is wrong. I mean, yeah, sure, technically it is, but you know, you might change your opinion one day. And I'm kidding, but uh, yeah, I don't know. That's it's maybe I'm a weirdo, but I just I I don't like absolutes kind of in any form. Yeah. That that reminds me of a writing exercise I did last year where I eliminated all use of is. Mm. It seems as if. Yeah, yeah. Is. Yeah. I I actually do that as a rule. Whenever I finish writing something, I do a, a search and replace, and I look for all, depending on the tense and point of view I've written in, is, was, am, are. I try to eliminate as many as possible because I, I find myself, especially the word was, overusing the word was so often, especially when you're just trying to get it out there on the page, yeah. even if it's a vomit draft, just like was, was, was. And I, I go back and I was like, oh, my like, oh. so, God. So much was. And then try to try to change as many as possible without making it, the language sound stilted, you know? Because you reach a point where then it sounds too formal or it doesn't sound like your character. And then I'm like, oh, maybe I go back and put a few wuzzes back in. It makes more sense. You know? Yeah. It does make sense. The way that you say it uh, makes me think of John McPhee's draft number four, where he goes through uh, in a, with the word processing program. And there's one that he uses that was actually made for him. It's it's quite interesting uh, the formula that that he talks about in repeating the same words over and over. You've got to eliminate those repetitions. Yeah. Um. But yeah, but back to uh, oh, where was I? Let's see. What job, if you were offered it, would make you immediately drop everything you're doing to say yes to? A job. I mean, when I was younger, I, I played in bands a lot, and I, you know, for a long time, I thought that's what I was going to do or wanted to do was, you know, be in, play music professionally. So probably in something involving playing music. Mm-hmm. Even if I could just be paid to play music in the basement with my friends, I mean, that, that might be preferable to touring and playing music on stage in front of thousands of people. I can be paid to just play with my friends. Yeah. That would be fun. That would be great. No pressure. Mm-hmm. No financial pressures. It'd be nice. nice. Um, I did I did check out your SoundCloud account. 
Um, and oh, what was it? Is, is there stuff even on there? Yes, there's stuff on there. I think that's stuff that you've done. Now, uh, did you do those vocals? What, what no, no. The stuff on SoundCloud, the those that's like, yeah, those are bands I was in probably at this point. Some of them were 15, 20 years ago, even. And uh, they're kind of up there for posterity, so I could have a place to find them and listen to them when I want to. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah the, the, so I play guitar, so those are bands I play guitar in. And uh, yeah, that's what. Before I realized, like, writing is something you could do on your own and you don't need the help of four or five other people to do and have all these different opinions. That's what I did for a long time. Okay. Now, what's the first music album you ever bought with your own money? This I know the answer to. It was a cassette tape of a Tribe Called Quest's People's Instinctive Travels and the Paths of Rhythm, I think it's called. Because when I was like 14 years old, I, I went through a super hip-hop phase. So that's that's that was the first thing I ever bought. All right. Now, this is related. What album can you listen to all the way through without skipping a single track? Well, I tend to be an album listener and not a song listener. Like, I feel like most of the music I really like, I listen to albums all the way through. Um, if, if, well, if I have to say one big one, it's like I could always could always put on and listen to all the way through uh, Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. It's just like classic, uh, classic album for me my childhood and just in general. So I would say that one, definitely. Let's go meta. What question do you wish I would have asked you? <laughs> Not that one. <laughs> um, which question do I wish you would have asked me? Meaning what would I like people to know about me? Um, Mm, Is there anything uh, that you wish I would have touched on in this interview that I haven't so far? Well, I will say that I'm coming very close to finishing what would be my actual first novel or short novel. And so that's exciting. I've been working on it on and off for a long time, and I really just want to get it completely nailed. I've been obsessing over it and over the grammar and over all the wuzzes and I'm finally close and then I have a couple places that uh, I really want to submit it to and so I'm kind of excited with that. Okay. That is exciting. So yeah. how, how much time have you devoted to this novella novel? I mean... I mean, not years stacked up, probably, probably, I mean, I would say hundreds of hours. It started as a screenplay because before I started writing short stories and prose, I, I wanted to be a screenwriter also. And this is after I wanted to be a famous musician. And so I spent like 10 years writing tons of screenplays. And like I said, they would 
you know, my friends would read them and critique them and I'd enter a few contests and maybe place one or two times and then it would go in a drawer and that would be it. So like I said, with Red Menace, I was like, well, I did all this work plotting and writing dialogue. You know, it'll, it'll be real easy to just port it over and, and use that. And it, it wasn't that easy because I wound up really changing and expanding it. But the screenplay I, I started, I mean, it had to be maybe 10 years ago, seven or eight years ago, probably right. I think I wrote that one right when the reactor was starting. I had finished it. So that's, that would be about eight years ago. So, so on and off as a screenplay and then as a potential book for about eight years. Okay. And when I'm, when I'm like not at work at the day job, like I'll sit four or five hours a day and work on it if I can, you know, but I, I, I consider myself a slow, slow worker because I'm a chronic rereader and rewriter. Like I'm the guy who always goes all the way back to the beginning every single day and reads all the way through no matter how long it is. That type of thing. Okay. Um, oh, what was I going to say? Uh, structuring of your day and scheduling time to write, what is your approach to that? Uh well, when I'm working the day job, I don't have a lot of time to write because I work in film and it's like a minimum 12 hours plus traveling and stuff. And then, you know, you want to live your life. And if, if you're exhausted, you don't want to write. So definitely don't do as much writing, which is why I'm glad I'm kind of finishing this project now, right as I'm about to go back to work. And uh, but otherwise, you know, I'll, you know, Weekends or an hour here, an hour there. You know, depending on the job, if there's a little downtime, steal a few minutes here and there, you know, if I can. But yeah, that's basically it. All right, Josh. Well, thank you so, so very much for taking the time out of your busy day. Uh, to speak with me and our little website over at Legends of Tabletop. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So um, what, what, can, what else can we look forward to seeing from you, Josh? What other output are we going to see in the near future? I mean, I got a, I got a bunch of stuff on submission and like I said, I've been working on this this book for a while now. So, I mean, hopefully people will see it eventually, but who knows how long that process takes. But, uh, yeah, I, I got a couple other things probably coming out. A couple stories coming out within the next few months. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I'll just hope to have a, a bit of a steady stream of that. So, just keep... Keep on, keep on. I'm losing. <laughs> and and so it goes for most of us. And and thank you again, very very much. And have a wonderful have a wonderful day, everybody. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop Broadcast Network. For more gaming related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.